Thanks for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more programmes, visit brumradio.com. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventure. Baffling questions, astounding questions, that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. You are listening to Geeky Brummy. Hello, and welcome to the Geeky Brummy podcast. Joining me today, Mr. Guy Halford. Hello. And also behind the desk, Mr. Gallandanes. All right. And Keith will be joining us shortly. Yeah, it feels really lively in this room, to be honest with you, doesn't it? (laughs) Callan, what have you been up to this week? Uh, This week, um, I've actually been taking some time off. Well, of course you haven't. We know what you've been doing that time off. That is right. I have been enjoying the fact that <laughs> Doctor Who is now on Twitch. <laughs> right, explain this to me because I, I heard about Pokemon does Twitch, which is basically idiots trying to control Pokemon. It's like 10,000 idiots at a time trying to play one game of Pokemon. 10,000 well, idiots. I thought that needed a it, song. I, it's not quite 10,000 idiots, but it's a bunch of idiots just watching all the classic Doctor Who episodes from the original run. From 1960. So is it Patrick Troughton through to, or is it? No, it's um, Patrick Troughton was second. Yes. So which doctors are we including here? Uh, we're including one through seven. One through seven. It's quite a long run then. It is. Um, not all episodes are on there though, because some of the episodes got deleted. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yes, otherwise it is every episode that they have access to, um, minus the fifth Doctor and a couple of the other ones that for some reason for rights purposes they can't play um, but it's basically all the originals so that's what matters cool any standout episodes so far um, I'd never seen um, Patrick Thornton's regeneration which was quite cool which it was, was a face that faded into another face right yes it's a face that fades into another face that's basically how it works with wibble wobble wibble wobble going on in yeah. the background yes basically <laughs> with some slight distortion um, but we've also got Love Island back, oh. which is fantastic, and no. I'm enjoying. Almighty. No, so it's no. been a great oh. week for me. How did you feel that when you mentioned that show, I kicked you out of the Geeky Bummy group <laughs> as a punishment? There's nothing wrong with it. What's, as long as okay, you accept right the fact that it? it's trash TV, then it's like. It is, it's, I mean, I watched Britain's Got Talent. Well, yeah, I Britain's Got Talent. I even watched TV. Britain's Got More Talent with the epitome. Of TV, you know, of your scourge love. of TV, which is Stephen Mulhern. The epitome he, of your love. You yeah, <laughs> he wasn't that bad this year, to be fair. Maybe, maybe I'm starting to grow to love Stephen a bit. I don't know. It's because you know Ant's not coming back and he's going to replace him. He's it. definitely pushing for Steen Deck, isn't he? Yes. I reckon Danes and Deck, to be honest with you. That sounds good. Callan Deck. Callan Deck. That yeah. sounds like something you'd buy from IKEA for your back garden. He's too high pitched. Can I buy deck, please? <laughs> he's too high pitched, though, so he's like yeah. squeals would like destroy the audience. But um, me? yeah, you. Um, no, Stephen Mulhern. You, oh. you, you, I don't know who is more annoying. You or Stephen Mulhern? It really. Oh, it's Stephen like Mulhern, it's, no. it's definitely a question. Like if I put them in a room together and I had to just not had to be told, I had to punch one of them. I really don't know. Sometimes I'd probably think I'd go for the. I'd probably pick Stephen to get away with it, <laughs> and that's saying something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Callan, yeah, Love, Love Island, Island is tra- utter trash. It's trash TV, but it's fun trash TV. You just think that you just fancy all the girls on it, right? The problem with Love Island for me is the impression it leaves on small people. It's very uh, small. small people, not small like people, <laughs> like children. It's basically like, like wooden puppets. <laughs> It's basically saying you can act like an idiot as long as you've got a six pack or you look fit, and that's what really annoys me about it. It's kind of like it's the opposite of education. It's basically saying if you look pretty, you'll get anywhere you want in life because and don't even care about studying. I mean, that's basically being a celebrity, isn't it? That you yeah, only I think get the guys being... actually love themselves more than the women in this because all they seem oh, to definitely, do definitely. is just work out and then pose in front of the mirror for the nano femtoseconds that I have before I have to turn the channel over. <laughs> It's just not good TV. It really, really isn't, Callum. I don't know. It's it's just fun and crap. But I don't. What's the what's the purpose of it? Like, what is it a game? I mean, what? Well, the whole point. The whole point. It's of effectively it, to see who will who will do who will on TV. Off with who on TV. Yeah. yeah. 
You know where this all stems from? It all stems from that episode of Big Brother where the first couple copped off with each other and they thought, oh, we can spin this out into another oh. show. <laughs> Do you know what? He was, I don't think he was even born when Big Brother started. Probably not. When did Big Brother start? 2000? But Of course I was alive. Yeah, yeah you but were still you were in just, nappies. You were just like ahead I wouldn't have watched it. I wouldn't have been actually seen <laughs> you know, it. No, because you were watching like Clifford the Big Red Dog or something. <laughs> oh, Clifford the Big Red Dog was great. Den of the Lost Dinosaur. Right, that, he doesn't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. Yeah, Big Brother 2000. started in 2000. Yeah. With nasty Aww. Nick Bateman. Yeah. Oh my god, do you remember like the confrontation with Craig? Was it Craig Phillips? He's like, um, I think you've been cheating, Nick. It, he, <laughs> he made it to paper. He found <laughs> that he, was like meant to be a scouser, right? Yeah, he made a career out of that though, nasty Nick. He did. He had a proper telly career, and Craig made it. I found the paper. I found the paper, Nick. You've been cheating. <laughs> Which was obviously given to him by Channel Four just to get people more interested in the show. Yes. So basically, if you don't know, the, the yeah. first series of Big Brother there was a guy in it called Nick Bateman, and Ch- Big Brother was just treading the water. It was a run-of-the-mill TV experiment. But the mo- the night when Nick was uncovered as giving bits, slips of paper to his fellow housemates, encouraging nominations, it all blew up, and then it became the sensation that was Big Brother at that point. So it was like a huge kind of like you've got to watch Big Brother because everybody in the house hates each other. And that's the moment it changed because that's Nick Bateman. But it was blatantly a plant. Blatantly. Ha- Callan's Googled Nick Bateman to see a picture of him. It's come up Nick Bateman, the Canadian model. <laughs> so his career lasted nice and long there. <laughs> Nasty Nick Bateman. Wow. And then you had, two years later, was it Celebrity Big Brother? Yeah, it just started going, all went downhill from there. Ah, uh, here we go. He has got a Wikipedia page. So for, first two articles on Google search for Nick Bateman is Whatever Happened to Nasty Nick Bateman, yeah. the son? And following that is from the express.co.uk. Where are they now? Big Brother's Nasty Nick Bateman. <laughs> Craig, won the, Craig won it, didn't they? Yeah, Craig the won it, and then he got, was it? Trading places or something like that. Something like that. Some, a bit, some a, DIY yeah. show where you just had him walking around in a pair of shorts like Callan's modelling today with a tool belt hanging off. I, I walked <laughs> past him in, on London Bridge at one point in my life. Did you? Yeah, what a cool story that is. And I was also... Did you go, hey? <laughs> <laughs> when I was a VIP at Reading, yeah, that's right, VIP at Reading, 2009, Nikki Graham was sharing the same campsite as us and you could hear her just running around this private we, campus screeching. Can we talk about the most the, important the thing? The orange here? egg that was Nikki... Oh, God, she did my head in for the entire yeah, time. I, like, I don't know why we're giving any of these people airtime. Why were you VIP at Reading, anyway? I went to my nan's house, I bought a copy of Enemy magazine, I entered a competition to win some tickets to Reading, I put it in a local post box by my nan's house, she gave me a stamped address envelope to put <laughs> it in. A few months later, I got a phone call from someone saying, you've won two VIP tickets to Reading. I called them out and said it was a lie, they said it's not, they sent me an email to confirm it, and little did I know, I was going VIP to Reading. Woo, woo, woo. And who did you take? Uh, my ex. And she was moaning the whole weekend. It was like, I really wasted the ticket. But that's when I stood by Daniel Radcliffe and gave him a day look. And and you copped off with... Uh, you not copped off with the... Took the... Oh, I bashed it. Yeah. Ron, Ron bashed Ron. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I copped off with Rupert Grint. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, me and Rupert. Around the back of the old... Um, around the toilets. Backstage. The area. Yeah. God. I remember seeing uh, how... You know how like they're reasonably large band now, the XX? Yeah. So I remember when they first like came out, they were being interviewed backstage, and like they were so awkward. I imagine they are quite like that still, but they were so awkward. It was unbelievable. Well, you can tell it was like their proper interview or something like that. Yeah, it was... It was. Uh, yeah. And saw Florence and the Machine different around out there and stuff, so... Pretty cool. Whilst I was like smoozing it with the celebrities. Bringing and, us back yeah. down to reality, what have you been up to this week? Oh, uh, what have I, <laughs> well, I don't know, actually. Um, well, I'm ill. Um, which is a great summer cold. It's not a good thing, is it? I seem to be going round again. Yeah, it's not good. And there's a hay fever thing as well, which is a, called a pollen bomb, apparently. That's yeah. the first thing, a pollen bomb. A what? A pollen bomb. That's probably why I've been sneezing, like somebody shoved an entire jar of pepper on my nose for the last couple of days. <laughs> Uh, what have I been doing? Oh, you put me on the spot. I don't know. Um, I don't really feel like <laughs> I've achieved much. Uh, I, I will yeah. issue an apology because I went out for a drink with my friend Phil Howard the other day. Yes. And we somebody said, oh, you're right, guy. Like that to me. Yeah. And I I just looked at them like so gone out. And Phil was like, do you know that person? And I was just like, I have no idea who that is. And then they walked past us again in the pub and didn't speak to me again after that. And I 
don't know. I still do, I still have no idea who this person who spoke to me was. So I'm concerned that maybe a listener has recognised me from the promotional materials for the show uh, and, and try to establish some kind of like you know celebrity fan <laughs> kind of connection here. Did she ask for a selfie? It was a man. Um, <laughs> so try to establish like some kind of connection with me. You know, maybe wanted to talk to me about the show. I don't know. And I completely like looked at them like like they'd shot me in the foot and walked off com- and just not said a word. You know, if so you do, do ever apologize. get famous now, that person's going to be recounting that tale for the rest of their life now. It's like, I said hello to Guy once in the pub before he was really big. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah he was always, he always just... full of it. Yeah, full of an ego. Full, full of it himself. We just... <laughs> Yeah, blank, mate. Never that, that guy. What, what an ego! Uh, well, it's not the first time this has happened though. Because <laughs> when we went to, um, I went to a record fair, yeah. and um, so I walked up to somebody's table, you know. And we, I, I've been to record fairs before. I've walked in. Me and Kirk have been treated a little bit like celebrities from the vinyl frontier. Like, oh, it's Guy and Kirk. Come and look at us. Anyway, I was looking at some guy's stuff, and he was like, "Hey, it's DJ Guy in the house representing." And I was like, "Obviously." I have no idea who this guy is. I had to go with it. I just had to go with it. Like, I knew him. Like, like, yeah, yeah. hi, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, cool. Thanks for listening to the show and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, it's weird. Like, I've been recognised for what I'm doing here. It's kind of like, I'm a really not a nice person you don't want to associate with Anybody who's listened to this podcast has probably worked out you are not a nice person. Yeah, I'm not the person you want to speak to in the public. Keith Bloomfield, yeah, he's lovely. Run up, give him a hug. He's great. He's amazing. Maybe Phil Ellis, if you give him a drink, he'll uh, he'll he'll welcome you in. But me, no way. You're going to become an anecdote from me. You'll just become a scowl. Yeah, exactly. So you're just going to get a scowl from me. So, I don't know. I'm not... I might have been recognised, and if you if you are the person who recognised me, I do apologise. I hope you're okay. Send me a message to at Geeky Brummy though <laughs> on Twitter, not not my personal things. Um, <laughs> I have to have to get my uh, my press secretary to, to go through all that stuff. Guy so. underscore Hal for different Twitter. Um, and Sunday I did something very immoral. I didn't come out winning from this, but so there was soccer aid. On the television. Mm-hmm. So what did I feel it necessary to do during Soccer Aid? Bet. Was to bet. Okay, yeah. For, to my own personal gain. And I was very close to winning 26 British pounds. Had Michael Owen, let's remember this, Michael Owen, kind of like the man who was playing football when you were still not even an idea in so, your parents' So he's head. old. So he's, he's old, very old, yes. Michael Owen. Now flogging sco- insurance online. Yes. Scored oh, sorry, a no, goal. He's, he's flogging these legal legal <sighs> ambulance chasers now. Good old Michael <laughs> Owen. Scored a goal and lost me my £26. Michael Owen. I, I, I just... Just the very thought of it, Michael Owen. Do you remember when Michael Owen was like England's next hope and then he just, he's just nothing now? Do you know who's got a better career than Michael Owen? It's that physio who got jumped up excited at the Euros and injured himself and had to be stretched off. He's got a better career than Michael Owen. I hate Michael Owen. So you lost £26 because Michael Owen yeah. scored? And, um, yeah. But he's a fo- he was a footballer. Oh yeah, a footballer who apparently once had to crawl off a pitch with an injury. So why wouldn't he score? A, a... He, he was a footballer known for more for getting injured than actually playing. I think <laughs> that's very well, true. Well, yeah, but surely the fact that he was a footballer full stop means that he's probably better than most of the people on Soccer Aid. I mean, he what he what he it was a goal against it, like Nicky Byrne was, from Westlife. So I mean, it wasn't the hardest goal in the it world. It was basically celebrities versus uh, celebrities and retired footballers playing. Yes, for a very good cause. But my favourite bit of that was the guy who scored the winning penalty for England in that game. It was Neil from the And me and Viv were like looking over for about 15 minutes trying to work out who he was <laughs> until they mentioned he was on the in-betweeners. Then we went, bloody hell, it's Neil. Do you know what I love? I love that Lee Mack missed. <laughs> I love. And Paddy McGuinness missed as yes. well. It's kind of like, I love Paddy McGuinness and I like Lee Mack, but it amuses me no, that they missed a penalty. No shorty, no larky. Do you know who what the most who the most random person playing was though? It's Hayden Christensen. I know. Anakin, Anakin Skywalker, Skywalker himself. And he skied his goal. Skied. Actually, he did, yeah, he <laughs> totally flopped that. Um but yeah, it was But um, David Harewood in goal. Brilliant. Do you know what? Alright, actually. He was really that, good. that man David Estes. Yeah, Mr. Mar- 
Martian Manhunter himself. They kept talking about that. They kept like, you know, it's David Estes from Homeland and Martian Manhunter. It's kind of like, you guys don't watch Supergirl. What are you on about? <laughs> like, Damien Lewis was playing as well. Yeah. Just, just random people that were playing. Do you know what? I was gutted. They were talking about, like, the people who were, like, on the sub bench. Like, so, like, Ben Shepard usually plays. Like, yeah. Who presents, like, you know, good morning. Robbie Williams. But ben Shepard, Robbie Williams. And they were like, oh, yeah, but they're, they're injured and they can't play. And then Bradley Walsh on the bench, but he's too old. <laughs> 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 it's like, that's harsh on Bradley Walsh, man. Uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting. But, like, you know, I was kind of like, I, I, I feel from this though, Usain Bolt is definitely going to take a career as a footballer now. Oh, he was just running up and down the pitch like a <sighs> grease light. Didn't Mo Farah didn't even keep up with him? Mo Fa- I'm sick of Mo Farah. <laughs> He's done some good running, but I'm sick of him now. It's like, go away. I'm fed up of him. It's like, you win your medals. Go away now. It's like Greg Rutherford. Like, just, you've done your Olympics bit. But, do you know, in terms of like Olympic stuff, which is annoying me, yeah. is it Katarina Thompson Johnson? Yes. Oh. <sighs> She's like promoting something on TV. Like, oh, I was an Olympic hope. She doesn't want anything. She's not won anything. She's not great. I'm well, going to get a load of hate from Olympian fans, aren't I? On this like, the Olympian fans, Olympian fans. Isn't it like those two Boeing brothers, the Brownlee brothers or something? They oh, were on loads of like, Aldi. Yeah. <laughs> Little or Aldi, and they're just forever on screen. It's like. You've done nothing. Go away. Yeah, it's kind of like your time is like in the summer every four years. Like, like not now. Like you had that. Like was it last summer was the Olympics? Like you've done your bit now for four years. So Get the we Winter Olympics you. people out. They've got something to do. Yeah. But do you know Get the me? curling team on. We usually win a bit of that. Which <laughs> makes me think because we're going to be talking about a little bit about I think about a geeky football team later in the show. Like our ideal geeky football team. But it makes me think like so obviously the World Cup is going on. I don't know anybody who's playing for England apart from a man called Jamie Vardy and I don't even know that much about him <laughs> like is Cristiano Ronaldo still a finger he play you oh. look a bit like Cristiano Ronaldo Callum because you've got some smug face as him all I know is most maybe of I the... should be a stand-in <laughs> all I know is most of the blokes in the office have picked up the Panini sticker album and it's been calculated online it's going to cost you about 275 quid's worth of packs to fill one sticker album I had a little surprise with Callum. I picked him up a sticker album. I was going to get him to do it, but I forgot to bring it. It's <laughs> 275 quid for bits of paper that you stick into a book. I could see the appeal of it, but like, I don't see any kids doing this. No, it's just adults who used to it. But like, I like what you told me, though, that like, the new inventive way of like trading football stickers is doing it via Twitter, and it's kind of like, that is gold. Yeah. That, that, so you know, that would have been great. Like, remember when you collected like pogs and stuff back in the day, and you had yeah. that, like, you could have swapped online, it would have been great. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, the hot tip is apparently now swapping stuff on Twitter. I know one of the guys at work, um, one of the guys called Andy, he bought himself a box, a full job lot box off eBay of stickers. Just so you had spent like 40, 45 quid on just an entire box of stickers. What's the way to do it? Best yeah. way to do it. And he said he's probably much got about 60% of his album full off this one box. Nice. That's the way and to just do gets it. a couple of packs out a night. Keeps him busy. Yeah. I don't like stickers though, so it ain't for me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, Ryan... it's all the stress with foilies and goldies. Oh, uh, yeah. The special ones. Yeah. Anyway, how's your week been, Ryan? What, uh, have you been ready for your big debut in the World Cup? No, uh, I went to see a dinosaur instead. <laughs> you went to see a dinosaur. You put a picture on Facebook, which made it look like you were walking around topless at no, the event. You can see my shirt. You, yeah, a, a str- Callan, a struggle. You can see that shirt, right? What, what photo you mean, is the colour of me? My, my new he Facebook profile like he picture. Looks like he's walking around top. Which I might add, my journey home yesterday, which I told you about, when I was walking behind a topless guy who stunk of bo. Just put your top on. Yeah, it's... why did you have to send us a picture of that? Because I felt it needed to be immortalised. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. In the in the profile picture, it looks like you're topless just from that bit. If you open the picture up, you can blatantly see the collar. I like if you the... open the picture up, you can see the collar. But if you don't open the picture up, you can't see the collar. I like the, I like the concept like... that you were walking around the museum topless, <laughs> Ryan. Like, oh, it's a bit on here, isn't it? <laughs> Shut your shirt over your back or what, tie it around your waist. What is it with people doing that as well? That annoys me more than anything else. It's just because it's four degrees above normal does not mean you have an excuse to walk around with your topless. No, it really doesn't. And don't bother tucking your shirt into your belt as well. People... Also, as well, like What's people wrong who with pull their your bo- shirt into the your... boxes over like the the trouser waistline as well. Yeah. Nah. What's wrong with tucking your shirt into your trousers? Is that granddad? <laughs> 
think 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 about it. Are you are you a fifty four year old man, Callan? He does live by the seaside, so <sighs> preppy. You know you know what it is? Callan's been living around OAP to go to the, <laughs> the seaside so much. That's where he's got all his fashion <laughs> style on. Just it. chuck on my loafers and He'll be wearing he'll be wearing some uh, lovely Gola trainers next week <sighs> with corduroy trousers, a pa- salmon shirt. And a flat cap. Okay, those things are all right if individually and not all as part of the same outfit. Golas are all right. You're wearing denim shorts again. I am wearing you, denim you shorts. You have no kind of recourse on fashion for me this week. I was thinking about this earlier and I realised I own two pairs of actual jeans and about six to eight pairs of shorts. Which is probably why I wear shorts so much. That's, uh, that's uh, do you want that information has changed my life completely? I know that. It's no be tra- true insight into your wardrobe. No trousers mentioned, just jeans or shorts. Well, I have like two pairs of trousers, but like I'm not going to wear like trousers and a shirt to turn up and record the. Well, I'm wearing trousers and a shirt, and I've turned up to record. So. I'm wearing a nice shirt. You, to be honest, Callan, <laughs> Callan, if I'm honest, you look like a trollop. Ryan, anyway, what was going on with your week? Yes, I went to, what, see you. I went to go and see a dinosaur, and Top it was my us. birthday. Happy birthday You've had this twice. You. You're not having this yeah. twice. You've had this twice. My shirt's got my name it. on the top of it. No, no, not stop milking it. I moved, up, it. I moved up an age bracket in internet, internet surveys, and it's really annoyed me. Uh-huh. I now no longer <laughs> live in the golden 25 to 34 age range category. <laughs> I now live in the thirty-five to forty-four. That just that just like was a crashing realization back to earth. Now it's like oh, Callan's in the age bracket of sperm to four. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a minus option? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway. So I went to see a dinosaur at Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery. It's a very big dinosaur. I even did, had to do a panoramic shot to get all the dinosaurs. What dinosaurs? This Dippy the Diplodocus. Who's on tour from the National History Museum in London? How long is he there for? Till September. Okay. Do you like when they move it? In my head, I'm thinking that old Disney film, one of our dinosaurs is missing. Like two old women just like driving along, like, oh, we've got to get the dinosaur away. That was what Keith was talking about last week. (laughs) You know, you know, funny story about that actually, because reading up on this online, the dinosaur from one of our dinosaurs is missing is the dragon bit from um, Star Wars: A New Hope. You know when. 3PO and R2D2 clash on the planet. It's the dino from, dinosaur from one of our dinosaur misses mm-hmm. in the background. Okay. Cool. Oh yeah, I know what you're about now. Yeah. And Keith, what have you been doing this week? This week I've been mostly being sexy. <laughs> Keith has been on to a journey to some remote part of the West Midlands. I've been I've, on a bus. I've been to Telford. <laughs> <laughs> I went and saw Infinity War again. <laughs> I got on a bus. Bus was late. I got stuck, got where I was going late, had to leave, got the bus home, that was late, and I missed my tea. I, like I, got, the, I got some comics. I like the fact that like mine and Callan's impression of Keith makes him sound like Oliver Twist. Wait, <laughs> sir, can I have another bus ticket? <laughs> can I have some more money on my Swift card, please? <laughs> we love you, Keith. Anyway, moving along. Mr. Bloomfield has joined us. Welcome. Hello. Where have you been? I've been to an art exhibition. You never heard of like turning up on time? Like you know who? Do you know who you remind me of? Callan Danes who turned up forty-five minutes late because he'd be doing something. Priorities. Priorities. It was my son's A-level art exhibition, which was only on for one day. That, so I went to that. What, what? That's a very good excuse. What did he display? Um, well, there was some uh, very large prints. Um, <laughs> just, just prints. Massive. No, they were, they were kind of <laughs> just it, purple rain starts. <laughs> they were, they were prints from an etching that he'd done in multiple colours with various kind of distressing stuff, and then there were a couple of very large canvases, and then all oh, of nice. this kind of like um, preparatory work on display, as long as as, as well as the other uh, whatever O level students and um, design O-level. tech. Oh yeah, I don't that know what they call now, them. Aren't they? Someone's showing their age right now. O-levels. My mum always says O-levels to me still. That's what they are. They're O-levels. They call them different things, but they're still O-levels. Our Rodney Smart, he's got two O-levels. <laughs> yes, got plenty. Oh, Callan, Callan just did Small a nice bones. little uh, seductive wave at Keith. That's my role <laughs> on the show. Seductively waving That's at Keith. my role on this show. See, I, I, I'm quite glad I, I was tardy. I've missed you, sexy. How have you been? 
It's been a couple of weeks since I've seen your. Uh, is it you weeks? Around here. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Surely you've got. But this is exactly why I don't put pictures on the internet of myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Guys, who downloaded everything you ever put up? With. I just take slight <laughs> pictures of him when he's on air, especially uh, ones with mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> so, congratulations, Zeke, on your A level art. Yeah. Hope you get the result you're after. I hope he does. It was it was it was a good display, and overall better overall, than the other kids. No, of course it was. <laughs> His Go work on. was very very good, but a, a lot of the students' work was very very good. And it just seemed a shame that he was only going to be. Seen but it was just his was slightly better than. The did others. you did you walk around going like, look at his work. You've done much better than that kid. Yeah. <laughs> was there any work there that you were like, this is terrible? Yeah, how like, this how did up? this make it? Um, surprisingly enough, actually, no. It was all very good so stuff. Nice and modest, he is way too nice. That's what you would do, guy. What I quite liked was a lot of it was very graphic, very kind of illustrated oh, kind of stuff. I'm interested now. Yeah. <laughs> graphic is as in kind of the art style, not of, as in Cam and Dane style, not, not as in your barbecue style. Yeah. <laughs> um, R.O.P. Barbecue. But it was really good. They were really good. It just seemed a shame. It was kind of in the in the school library, which wasn't the biggest of spaces, but it would have just been superb for it to have been in a large warehouse, hmm. kind of, you know, proper Somewhere stuff. urban like Digbeth. Yeah, with you... dandelion and burdock instead of Prosecco for everybody to drink. Did you, you, and did you, your son, and Sloane Peterson stand there and look at the art with your hands on your face? <laughs> I, unfortunately, I didn't have my uh, appropriate T-shirt on at the same at the time. That was a shame. I like the fact though you didn't are, are deny you that the... Sloane Peterson was there. Are you the hey, sausage man. king of Chicago, Mister Bloomfield? Let's <laughs> all twist and shout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sloane Peterson, God, that's. Well, that oh, can anybody can anybody do an impression of Cameron from on the phone? Oh, I wish I could. Rooney, thank you for deafening Ow. me in both ears. There, God. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even going to attempt no. it. Call me, sir. God damn it! There you go. Call me, sir. It was a bit more whiny, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm <laughs> the sausage king of Chicago. Why are you even referencing? No, oh my days! Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh wait, which part? Bueller. Sorry, Bueller. Which part? Which part? <laughs> the film, Callan. Yeah, have you seen that? that? Was actual day off. I've actually seen that movie. I just don't know. The bit that you're referencing. The, the bit when he's on the phone trying to get Sloane Peterson, who Keith went to the art gallery with out of school. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's so quick. <laughs> Razor sharp mind. I think it's time to move along. <laughs> 50 years of Mad Monkeys on our screen in Planet of the Apes. Three different film franchises, TV series, comic books, toy lines. Keith, are you awake? Sorry, no. I'm. I was listening to you telling me all about the wonderful Asian um... Captain Keith. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I recently finally got around to watching War of the Planet of the Apes. This has now just popped up on Now TV and I missed it in the cinema. And it was the end of Caesar's trilogy. In the new franchise of Planet of the Apes, we've had Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and then War for the Planet of the Apes. Which me sounds backwards because the dawn's at the start of the day. Yeah, it's confusing, isn't it? Because it is definitely an odd way around and you always get confused because I put them the wrong way around on my shelf. I've really, really enjoyed this new version of the franchise. I think Andy Serkis' portrayal of Caesar has been one of the highlights. I finally got around to watching War, as I said, on, which is now out on Now TV. And I really like Steve Zahn's character in it. Woody Harrison could have taken him or leaving him. It wasn't too great. But it's been good to watch Caesar's story over, develop over these three films. But it's testament to Andy Serkis's performance, really. Yeah. That, that 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 motion capture character that he's created in Caesar has sold that franchise completely and utterly. Mm-hmm. We've had some other standout characters, such as Winter and Cobra, who was the main antagonist in the second film. But as I, I think they've been lovingly updated. More versus the Tim Burton movie, which just was a bit of a rehash of the original, and their twist ending was. Not well received, put it that way. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was twisty of the 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 best kind. The Burton one, at least, kind of still goes with the men in suits. Yes, um, land on planet one monkeys. with the yeah. kind of um, masks and prosthetics and all the rest of it. And I mean, they had a decent enough cast. I mean, mm-hmm. I would, uh, Tim Roth's portrayal was a little bit off. These photorealistic, yeah, physically accurate portrayals of the various monkeys that they have the apes yeah. through, throughout this film 
you know it's not real and yet within minutes of watching it you are completely convinced that this is real that yeah. it is happening and these characters are actually mm-hmm. part and parcel of the, of this world and, and I think that sells it so much that you, there isn't that kind of disconnect between reality and stuff and that's why you buy into them as characters because they are so emotive and so realistic I mean, that you forget that they're, they're kind of like you, there's none of this kind of uncanny valley yeah. stuff that you get when they're real people yeah I think that Tim's movie suffered a lot from the uncanny valley thing because as you said most of it was prosthetic so it was yeah. top of the human act and it kind of felt that little bit too weird whereas in the original films actually I've, I've got to give quite a lot of respect for them because they were acting in rubber masks with yeah. no, not, no many facial movements nothing there so all the acting had to be done pretty much through the power of voice I mean Dr. Zayas as a character has stood the test of time I mean for Simpsons to be able to lampoon that 20-30 years after the first film came out and everybody still connect with it yeah shows you how long how good the first film was i think it's just down as well to the strength of the story what the story is saying carries yeah. a lot of weight in terms of that um so you get over the sense of that the, they're guys in in suits and and all the rest of it i mean mm-hmm. and it was the, the like you said the casting and so having somebody like roddy mcdowell yeah play uh, Corne- the, uh, cornelius was it I think it's Cornelius uh, in yeah. in the first um, one, and it kind of just goes that precursor to people that we have yeah. now, like Doug Jones. Yeah, who are able to he he became the character pretty much. Yeah, he, he sunk fully into being Cornelius. And the films at the time, they were quite a powerful statement about segregation, and it was quite an in-depth satire about racial issues at the time. Yeah, which people seem to forget is this film had a massive impact outside of the film itself. It was bringing to light the the whole how apes were separated in that world. Yeah, even what though it's all equal, all seen as equals, it kind of brought it to a bit more attention. I think. I think it's that fact that I don't know how many people in kind of 1968 had, had read the original the Planet um, de Singe book that, that that it was based on, and I think having. You know, the thing that they did was they got Rod Serling yeah. to adapt it for a screenplay. And so he's coming from that kind of point of, you know, the Twilight Zone and all yeah. that kind of stuff. These allegorical stories mm-hmm. that help people question the What's human, the yeah. human um, state. And I think that's what that film does really well, is questions a lot of stuff that was being problematic or mm-hmm. mankind was struggling to come to terms with the kind of advancement of technology the kind of things of equality and all of this the stuff that was going yeah. on and how how what how man's place in the world mm-hmm. um was going to be and i think they did a really good job that first film you know 50 years later still stands up as a superb solid piece of uh filmmaking I beyond mean- the ending yeah I mean you do get a little bit of a diminishing returns it five films they made out of the franchise F- five um, that they made I mean they made them in pr- pretty rapid succession yeah. I mean it was all over by about 73 yeah in terms of that and um, you know they churned them out quite quickly and I think the last three suffer particularly from being quite quick turnarounds yeah. and they kind of reduced the number of apes that were in there and brought and it back to kind of earth and kind of had a lot less the script quite a lot as well yeah I think. Because I quite like Beneath, which is the direct sequel to the, yeah. the first film, which is quite nice. Because that, that's, that's a pretty decent story, again, about kind of like an underground. Mm-hmm. And they worship a... I think uh, 1970s long enough ago to be kind of yeah. spoiler-free. Well, they were wor- worshipping an A-bomb, weren't they? They were worshipping, yeah, worshipping a, the bomb, the great bomb. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. So that one, I really like that one because it's quite a, quite a bleak ending as well. Uh-huh. So I, I remember the one. first time I watched that because I was quite young because my nan was a huge Planet of the Apes fan. And I went around to what... And she always had like a film on in the background. She was a big film buff. Yeah. Uh, but that whole bit where you see them take off their faces in the second film yeah. that really scared me as a small child I mean it's hard to think these films are probably G's PG's yeah. for rating uh, but as you mentioned you did get diminishing returns and you had the two season TV series well one one live action one animated I think the one that I remember most is the Planet of the Apes one yeah, which was the live was, action one that kind of ran out on ITV on a Sunday night and that was sandwiched in between film one and Beneath the Planet of the Apes yeah um, and then kind of like was it Return to Planet of the Apes I think yeah that was the third one the problem with the Return to the Planet of the Apes it was very much like the kind of a lot of the cartoons that were going out at that time the kind of Tarzans yeah. and the kind of you know it was fairly I mean even even the kind of um, Star Trek animated series 
it was that kind of quite stilted simple animation i don't remember seeing an awful lot of them on uk tv at the time when they were transmitted i remember seeing the live action series because that was covered a lot in things like looking kind of the it that used to be a magazine for kids about itv programs so it was in there with the kind of likes of logan's run had a tv series and all that kind of stuff fantastic journey and all this kind of stuff so it was yeah. that kind of like oh this because it was a great you, time for sci-fi on the Yeah, screen. you didn't have videos and you didn't have a lot of, you know, you didn't have internet streaming. So, yeah. you know, when, when your favourite films or stuff were on, because I was too young to have seen Planet of the Apes for the first time when it was yeah. was out. But I kind of came, you know, somehow saw it at some point over time. And yeah. it's possible that the Planet of the Apes series was my first introduction to it. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would have been, what, six or seven at the time yeah, when I, I was watching it was that? was quite maligned at the time when it came out because it didn't really continue too much it was but. it was it was tv of the time it yeah. was just episode of the week two random geezers wandering around <laughs> escaping from yeah. jeopardy at the end of the episode no by real fluke. connection to the main yeah. tv series uh, main film series well apart i think it was just uh, roddy mcdowell i think was the only thing that really tied it in when i was watching it at the time i loved it yeah, and you're a big fan of the comic books as well. Well, the comics have got a really good history. They started off in a lot of weird places because one of the first places that it turned up was in Japanese comics, pretty much at the time that the film, the first film came out. But I think the Japanese market is predisposed to that those kind of stories, mm. those kind of like um, kind of things that were going on. As, as you go through the time, Gold Key did a, a run of um, Planet of the Apes comics, which are very much in the tradition of the Gold Key comics, which are they're the title by name only, and there's a lot of artistic license about whatever else is happening inside of them. And I think that was based on the second film. Much later on, Marvel ran their own Planet of the Apes um, series, which I think I saw in the UK as kind of black and white reprints at the same time, which was they they were really nice and it. Ran, it didn't run, didn't run for that long. It probably only ran for about two and a half years. Fairly successful for Marvel. I, I can't say that I've ever seen it reprinted. Yeah. But it's quite good. A couple of other uh, smaller publishers have published one-offs and various other bits and pieces, which really took uh, off again in recent years, thanks to Boom Studios. Um, Dark Horse mm-hmm. did some stuff connected to the Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Um, and they've done a couple of crossovers as well, haven't they? Yeah, Boom mm-hmm. have done some really interesting stuff. They're now, I believe, the publisher who has published the most... Planet of the Apes comics. Interesting. After this, I think so, so I think it's beating Marvel and beating the kind of Malibu run that was was happening earlier on. Mm-hmm. But they've done annuals and they've had crossovers. So they've had crossovers with uh, Star Trek. They've had crossovers with Green Lantern. So they've done a lot of interesting stuff and they've had some really good artists on there. One of our favourite artists that we've met at many conventions in the past, Rachel Stott, has done a couple of Ooh, um, Planet of the Apes stuff and her work's really nice. Yeah. It's really good. But it still works. The, the, the beauty of something... The, beauty of the theme of planet of the apes is it's still as relevant now unfortunately as it was I mean, they were back quite in the 1960s nihilistic movies back in the 60s because yeah. they don't end on a happy ending for any of the characters really no i mean it's just constant turmoil across the whole five five films even with the escape from the planet of the apes which is seen as the more light-hearted movie where you've yeah. got two main characters returning and giving birth to caesar on earth and that sets off the next two films in chain fair play to this franchise it's stood the test of times again michael giacchino allowed to do music scores for this some brilliant work there absolutely brilliant work. He, he's he is the for me the composer that can work with these big sci-fi franchise so, uh, you know creates decent themes and stuff for it so it works really well mm-hmm. but i think it's that the premise holds to this day to yeah. da- you know it's it's very very easy for people to buy into the message that's being given and or atta- uh, tackled in in a, in a planet of the apes movie Mm-hmm. Um, would you say go back and watch the originals? I would say if you can, definitely Planet and Beneath. Yeah, I, I possibly do think Escape. Escape, I think, closes that storyline off quite well. You 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 can see the definite yeah downturn in kind of the production value and the rest of it. You could probably skip the cartoon and the uh, TV series. Yeah, they're, they're okay. They're more kind of curiosity based pieces. But I think if you're coming to the franchise for the first time. It is very much worth picking up watching the all three, three yeah. of the of the Andy Serkis version of of this story. It really, it, a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. Really, they fly right up to the sky with a battery. They come. They're drones. They fly right <laughs> the earth like a bird. I don't know what that song is. It used to be that used to be for oh. bread. Right, we're not actually talking about drones, we're talking about UAVs, which we got told off for calling them drones, didn't we? What is a UAV, Ryan? A UAV is Unmanned Aerial Vehicle, which I think is a better name. 
But anyway, mm, yes, it's, it's 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 okay. It's a mouthful, isn't it? UAV. Yes. Danger UAV. <laughs> danger drone. Danger you have. You have danger. There you go. <laughs> Better way around. Danger drone Robinson. Danger. Keith, Mr. Callandines, and I went over to the University of Wolverhampton in Telford. Which I'm still haven't got my head around completely. <laughs> so we went to the Telford campus and the lovely chaps there and the guys from Arusta let us watch and observe a two people passing their drone proficiency tests. Quite interesting to watch, wasn't it, Keith? It's quite cool, the, the, the fact that they're actually taking it quite seriously, that these mm-hmm. are tiny little aircraft. And yeah. the, kind of, the process that the guys were going through, they'd obviously had um, a couple of days' worth of pra- practical. Yeah, I think it's about two to three-day course, it Yeah, kind of. So they learn about meteorology, about the aircraft itself, kind of all the kind of science and what legislation and stuff, yeah, behind yeah. it. Because there's a big law change coming up in July, which I wasn't actually aware of. In future, all drones must be registered. Well, yes, and if you're um, flying for commercial purpose, uh, for your uh, for financial purposes... Yeah. You have to um, be registered with the Civil Aviation Authority or the CAA. Well, yes. Yes. And pass a bunch of tests, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was what this drone proficiency course was. So there's two chaps there. Keith, what drones were they using? Because I forget the names. The one guy was flying a Phantom Four, So that's kind of one of DJI's larger quadcopters. It's one so, of those big, like, white things. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a... It's a uh, okay. Great description there, Callum. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you see them a lot on like YouTube and stuff, and like yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's got a three-axis gimbal for kind of controlling the camera. It's got um, capable of shooting 4K footage. It's quite a big, quite a big device. It's got legs. Um, Do you notice? It's yeah, it's got landing struts, uh, so it's it's able to land on slightly rougher terrain. Yeah, uh, and then the other guy was flying a Mavic. I'm yes. not quite sure which one. I think it was the Mavic Pro. They said. Was it Mavic Pro? Okay. Yeah, I, I heard good. someone say Pro, so I think so. Yeah, it's yeah. A kind of a slightly more um, consumer-friendly version of, of the drone. So it's it's smaller, more compact. Um, is is kind of a, it's it's a cool piece of gear. Um, they're all pretty good. The, the footage you get of these devices is phenomenal, really, when you have a look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, it was quite cool to see, and it was surprising how much information you have to learn to fly a drone commercially. Well, it's, you're having I mean, to log a proper flight plan and everything. Yeah. I mean, the guy gave me the Cliff Notes version of it afterwards to basically just flick through and say this is what all the pilots get when they get their licence. And it was a good couple of hundred pages of A4 in this book. Yeah. And it was all really good tips on like meteorology, how to measure bar pressure, how to check wind speed, how wind speed differs when you go up different heights. It was quite an interesting little read there to try and get through all that information. What I found interesting was like obviously we've seen them be used for cinematography quite a lot and like video and YouTube and TV and even films but like the amount of like uses outside of that yeah. they were talking about like agriculture uh, construction industry yeah. building, surveying well it's the, it's the, it's the different perspective that you get on a, on on stuff right. Mo- most things that you'll see are ground based yeah or you're going to have to use a crane or a cherry pickle mm. or whatever it is so it is quite useful that kind of like for guys who are doing stuff that could cost a lot of money yeah. so the building inspection is brilliant because in the, before you would have had to either hire a cherry picker that might only go to a certain height mm-hmm. or you would have to get scaffolding constructed and erected to make an inspection before you'd even had to do any work whereas one of these things you can launch quite easily Fly, get a good in, get good photography or good and video or live see, footage, yeah. and you can see what what needs before you go to the expense of getting whatever other equipment you yeah. need. And, and they were talking about guys that were using it, um, particularly the bigger drones that you know, allow you to mount different types of camera. Mm. Yeah, who were doing kind of uh, geological surveys by mm. using kind of like radar cameras and infrared, uh, infrared cameras to yeah. so be able able to cover that, which before would have been hugely expensive things to do. So I, I can see it being really useful for kind of archaeological digs yeah. when you're looking for kind of changes in terrain to be able to work out do we get diggers in here, do we all yeah. that. So it's, it's quite, I think it's got a growth market in terms of right. bringing that kind of what used to be just helicopters and aeroplane spotters. I mean, one of the guys was telling us about how Game of Thrones, what they do is they'll send a drone up on a pre-programmed flight path and have it dip and weave and dodge. So it feels like that's how they do most of the dragon footage. So you get that interpretation of a dragon flap with its wings and going up and down in the air. It's quite interesting to hear about that. Uh, We're going to have a quick 
chat with a couple of the guys and we'll be back after that. How long have you been fly- sort of like flying drones for? Probably about four years now. How did you get into it originally? Well, we were on a, um, a European regional development funded project at the University of Wolverhampton um, four years ago, which aimed at introducing higher-end technology to businesses, so SMEs, and part of it was we'd purchase um, demonstration technology, so low-end to high-end, and it came about we wanted to purchase a large drone for demonstration purposes, and when we went to to kind of proceed with purchasing, we were told that we needed a qualification to buy it, so that prompted us to do more research, which then kind of opened our eyes to how much... um, use there are for drones in different public sectors and and private sectors Um, so from that we were fortunate enough to get um, put onto a drone course through the university and what's your worst experience been with a drone of like flying disasters flying disasters well if you're yours (laughs) my flight assessment (laughs) my flight assessment i had a hard landing with um with my drone but it we there was a slight malfunction in the controller so even though we did everything to the book the controller had a little bit of a glitch which made the the drone land a bit too hard which kind of shattered the gimbal which we needed to replace afterwards i got my pass but um it, it meant that we had to fix the drone afterwards as well how, um, how, how bad was that getting it repaired oh, i wasn't that bad it was it was just a few it's um, like how can we say breaking your neck and getting a neck brace <laughs> so a neck brace for a um, a drone, drone. Yeah, yeah but it, the neck brace for this was an actual renewed piece so it would be a brand new piece that we would just put back on the drone reinforcing it and making it stronger yeah, yeah. Um, have you got, had any bad experiences yourself I certainly have <laughs> the patch on the well the ground that you're standing on today as I was practicing one time um, I did take the drone to about 60 feet in the air and I thought I was a maverick, thinking uh, I knew how to control it left, right and centre. So what I actually did is actually started toggling all the toggle switches in numerous different positions and actually turned it off in the shutdown position whilst it yep. was in the air, 60 foot. Um, and I was just watching that sort of, not bittersweet moment, but very entertaining moment which I found the fruits of my labour to be about £500 worth of repairs do you guys have any advice for people um, looking at taking the test for the first time for hobbyists do your research in drone legislation definitely because there's there's a lot of things that could get them bitten with a fine yeah. if, if they do things wrong or if they don't know what they're doing or correct procedures getting permission that kind of thing for pilots I'd, if going to their flight assessment I'd say just practice plenty of practice and plenty of practice in ATI mode, which is something that's tested for, which a lot of people don't really think about while they're flying a drone. What's that? So drones work with GPS, so it uses GPS positioning to keep the drone in its location that it registers, uh, whereas ATI mode will completely turn off GPS positioning, so the drone won't be able to register itself on the GPS map. So if you push a throttle forward to make the drone move, say, one metre, when you release, it's going to carry on moving. So ATI mode is something that's required with drones if you're flying indoors or if you have any emergencies where you, you have to disable that GPS. So stuff like GPS failure. So you, you, you can have, because uh, it just works off satellites in, in orbit, if, you, if the drone just happens to lose GPS signal to the controller, then it'll just start flying away on its own. So if that happens, the the way to rectify it is just to switch it into ATI mode, back into GPS mode, and hopefully that'll kind of resolve the issue with the signal. If it doesn't, then you've got to be able to fly in ATI mode to bring it back down to Earth before it crashes into something. So I'm here with Charlie McGee from Ruster, uh, who's been sort of just showing us how to fly the drones all day and doing the flight evaluations. So how did you get into drone flying? Well, Ruster are a company that are all ex-military instructors, and I spent 35 years with the Royal Air Force. But I'm also a private pilot flying as director of the flying club at Royal Air Force Cosford. Um, my initial intention was to get into UAVs to find out how safety would be for me as a general aviation pilot. Um, stayed with it for quite some time, and I've become a CEA instructor examiner for the company Ruster. Okay. 
how was that transition going from that sort of um, heavier, bigger aircraft into sort of smaller? Really well, because the disciplines that we use both in commercial aviation, both in general aviation and in UAV flying are the same disciplines really. Um, and I think we found that the university here at feedback sessions when we finished uh, doing courses here, that bringing the other disciplines into it helped the students understand what UAV flying is about. Mm. Can I just say that people talk about drones, drones a big green grey thing that flies across uh, other countries, whereas a UAV is actually probably the little phantom that we're talking about. But unfortunately, the public have got drone in their head and it's going to stay. How important is it for people to sort of understand the ethical considerations and the regulation regarding UAVs or drones, as people call them? It is extremely important, uh, and it's important from uh, the angle of, you probably have heard about the, the recent uh, release of information that the air navigation order is about to change in July, and it's going to change with a, an emphasis on flight safety. For the first time, the hobbyist is going to be required to register their machine uh, and have done the basic flight safety course. If they have not done that, the police will be able to actually remove the vehicle from them. And in the industry, we are very glad of, of this move. You said the industry is quite glad of this move. Um, what do you think that this means for the industry then in terms of...? I think it will increase credibility because the courses that we are doing, of course, are, are, are courses what's called a, a permit for commercial operation. And it's a CAA uh, permission to fly. Uh, and and that, that permission then allows people to work for higher reward. In other words, they can fly commercially. There are a lot of hobbyists that won't be flying commercially and, and quite rightly should just fly for fun. However, they need to actually have... Um, restriction placed upon them so that it, they remain safe. Otherwise it gives the whole industry a bad name. What sort of damage or effect on the sort of industry as a whole and the wider community can uh, irresponsible flyers have? Well you can't pick up a press uh, at all these days without hearing somebody talking about a near miss with a drone. We've not actually seen very many of them. We've heard of some poly bags at 20,000 feet but not really uh, UAVs. If I told you that the, the regulation for UAVs, whether you're a hobbyist or uh, a commercial uh, pilot, is 400 feet in height and 500 metres in distance, one shouldn't be going outside that. And you've got to stay within visual line of sight of the vehicle at all times. So you work for Ruster. How is sort of working with them and their training in particular? Mm. Ruster, based in Lincolnshire, um, as I said before, they're all ex-military instructors. We have a an ex-military ethos, if you like, that we bring to the party. But we're very fortunate that um, Ruster and the University of Wolverhampton have entered into partnership, which means that we have the ability to deliver courses both at the Wolverhampton Business Centre, here at Telford, and also in Hereford. What it means for us is that in the future, university students will be able to do their PFCO as part of their university degree course. Uh, what's a PFCO, sir? Permer uh, permission for Commercial Operation. That's the, the CEA regulation piece uh, that, that you would have, thank you. And of course, to have that to operate commercially, you've got to have uh, an insurance cover, which covers up to about £5 million insurance. I don't see that the, a UAV is going to cause £5 million worth of damage, but there you go. <laughs> What's the sort of size and scale of UAV that Ruster cover? Well, today, we've just on the flight evaluation field, we've done a Mavic, which sits in the 0 to 7 kgs, it's sub 7 kgs, as people talk about. And beyond that, uh, uh, we've got uh, we've got a Phantom Day, again, the sub 7 kgs. But the university have a, a larger machine that which sits in the, the between 7 and 20 kgs. That's kilograms we're talking about now. Yeah. Uh, and the S1000, nice machine, with a nice camera attached to it. Uh, a <laughs> Canon 5, it works really well. We, in the uh, PFCO uh, aspect, are from 0 to 20 kilograms. Anything over 20 kilos would be sort of high level stuff uh, and it goes off to uh, an even more advanced uh, pace but 20 kilograms is an awful lot in, a, in an air vehicle it really is an awful lot um, so what will we be talking about at that stage that then would go into a registration process whether the the pieces uh, beneath uh, from zero to 20 don't have a registration per se either they don't have a, a registration number on the side of the vehicle but above that they would then have just exactly that they need to be registered and they have to have airworthiness checked by the CEA etc we see a lot of production and filming companies using drones more and more what are some of the other um, uses of drones outside in other industries perhaps well in partnership with the university we also sit on the Harper Adams University's um, uh, 
panel for agriculture. Uh, and, and, and there's fantastic innovation out there. They've got such a thing as the, the hands-free hectare, whereby there's a, a hectare of land that's been crop taken from it and nobody's been in it for two years. And they've used drones and vehicles that have got uh, remote GPS to be able to operate the thing. That aside, construction work. People can inspect the building without the expense of putting a scaffolding up. Venues, as long as you don't fly over the, uh, directly uh, over the venue type, you can get the scale of the number of people that are there. There are a huge number of applications now. They are coming out of the woodwork, that's mm -hmm. for sure. So if people want to register with the course, um, how would they get in contact with um, you or your colleagues? My suggestion would be, because th this partnership that we're talking about today and, and we're in the local area, would be that the University of Wolverhampton Business Solutions uh, uh, angle would be the, the best. And the website would be first point of contact. And because we are in partnership with, uh, with Ruster, if you did choose to come via the Ruster website, you would still arrive at the same place. But I think it's, it's prudent to make sure that the, the university uh, have the involvement in the local area. Thank you for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure. Foot, 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 ball, ball, ball. Foot, 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 ball, ball, ball. Ref, you're having a laugh. Oh, kick the ball into the goal. Yeah, score. Yeah, oh, Ronaldo. Yeah. Jump us for goalposts. <laughs> Pigskin. Yes. So you've probably guessed something going on in Russia this week, I think. What is that? No. <laughs> oh. wow. It involves something round that's been kicked repeatedly. <laughs> it's just not getting any better, <laughs> is it? It is, of course, the World Cup has started. Oh, the World Cup! Ah. Yes, some bally bally foot foot stuff. <laughs> but um, we th we <laughs> child. <laughs> we thought we'd take our own version of it. So Keith, you'll put together a geeky World Eleven for us. In goal position, favorite position, the kingpin from uh, Daredevil. Yes. is that just because he's a chubby chubber? He's a large lad. No, he's 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 fast. He's got. He can move a lot. Is he he's fast? intimidating. Okay. Yeah, he's he pretty speedy. He can look after himself. You could have had the blob from X Men in there if you just go. For the no, I, d I think. I think the problem with the blob is he's not. He's not going to be quick at moving. So he's got to cover the space. I, whereas the kingpin, he's imposing. He covers a lot of the goal, but he could. He's quick enough to be able to get out there and stop any of those kind of like sneaky in the corner well, type shots. As Guy did say, the Martian Manhunter, Mister David Hayworth himself, local Brummie lad. He was playing football last week. Soccer aid. A soccer oh, aid. Right. And he was rather decent in England. Yeah. Martian Manhunter is a possibility. <laughs> well, you see, uh, Martian, if you're going to have the Martian Manhunter in a position, you're going, to have, you're going to have him up front as a striker, ideally as the most perfect goal-langer. We're talking the kind of Gary Lineker-style goal-lang in here. So he becomes <laughs> invisible, and then just waits for the ball to come, and reappears, and boom, goal in. Goal right. hanging. The, the the quintessential English goal striker is the, is the goal hanger, and this is why people like Gary Lineker did did right. brilliantly. Okay, so we'll do proper England four four two, which is the only football <laughs> formation that I know of, <laughs> which is two strikers, four midfielders, four defenders. So you got striker one, which is the Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter. Stri yeah. striker two. Striker two. I Quick would go. I, would say, for... I really hope he says John Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not a he's not a superhero, is he? Yes, he is, Keith. Yes, he's, he's he is. Really, he's not really. <laughs> he is in guys. <laughs> uh, I, I, my, my second pick for a striker is I would go for the robotic-legged Darth Maul. Mm. You see, right. he's obviously, obviously the robot legs. People are intimidated by him. You know, he's got that. He's got the face paint. He's got the. He's got the horns. I mean, it's obviously a bit, a bit tricky for heading. <laughs> the Vinnie Jones of the Star Wars. Well, you pop the ball. <laughs> yeah, pop the ball. He, can, he can't do any headers, can he? No, but it's all, it's all about the legs. Unless it just gets stuck perfectly in between <laughs> the horns. It <laughs> and then, like trying to like lift it off his head. Because I can, ima I can imagine with those robotic legs, he could do a really good scissor kick as well. <laughs> just pop it, pop it in over the goalkeeper's head, no problem. Right, who would you have as your reserve? Do we have any reserves? What yeah. aren't we doing our midfielders and um, defenders? No, we'll do our subs. Our subs. First. Our subs. Bradley okay. Walsh. Right. I'm just going to go with an easy pick for substitutions. Mulder and Scully from the X Files. <laughs> I meant for your striker wow. substitute. <laughs> I think we were just having a subs bench of random people. No. Anyway, Mulder and Scully would be great. <laughs> Perfect team up. One two. The, the skeptic and the uh, and the believer. It's like, it's like we're gonna we're gonna win the game. We're gonna win. Oh no, we're not. We're England. We're not gonna win. Oh yeah, we will. Oh, you have to believe. So All right. perfect for England. All right, shall we move on to midfield? Uh, I have a pick for midfield. Quicksilver. 
You need, you need somebody with pace. On, on the wings. You need to move pace back yeah. and forth. Cover all over the pitch. I think Quicksilver would be a solid pick. Yep. But I would choose Marvel's version of Quicksilver over the X-Men movie's version of Quicksilver. Um, Is that because you fancy Aaron Taylor-Johnson? No, I just think he's a better character. Yeah, He's dead, but yeah. I suppose that's not going to stop him. <laughs> Too much. Uh, this yeah. is our make-believe key. <laughs> oh, still alive in my eyes. <laughs> All right, midfield for your selection. Midfield, right? So we need we need strong. We need we need a brute tough, now. We need a bruiser. Tough uh, characters. So I'm going to go with uh, old blue eyes himself, Benjamin Grimm. Why should I think he was going to say Frank Sinatra? <laughs> that would have been a random pick. <laughs> like I'll pick the older Pat Dino, Sammy. Just going to serenade him as you like. See, other people might have put Benjamin in the kind of like, you know, defence position. Yeah. But I think I think you need a good, strong, kind of, you know, good team player. Mm-hmm. You know, possibly even, you know, captain material. He's going to keep everybody together. He's a kind of, you know... He's a bit moody though, like Rain, Wayne Rooney though. He is. He is. He can't. Well, no, Wayne Rooney yeah. did take inspiration on his style from Mengrim, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he has been known to cry a bit like Gascoigne. <laughs> so you know he's got he's got to right. form. I'm there. not. I'm not going to make any poor Gascoigne jokes because <laughs> we always know where that goes. <laughs> you've sold me on. You've sold me on Mengrim. Moving along. Okay. So we're going to go. I'm going to go even further back, and um, and po- po- mostly because I saw it on TV recently, and it reminded me what a good the shadow. Lamont Cranston, who can manipulate men's minds. That's, that's just I, a drop in that he saw that <laughs> But ideal for kind of like, you know, confusing the defenders and helping get the ball up to the strikers. So he could, he, who, who knows what the fear lies in the hearts of men? Okay. The shadow knows. It'd be cool. And he's got a nice hat as well. He's got a big pointy nose and a scarf. It's all, all, right. all good stuff. Our fourth and final defender, uh, midfielder. You got two left. He's in pick two. Oh yeah, yeah. I stole Quicksilver. Yeah, so. Oh, you took. So we got another pick for midfield. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to think here. Really, you kind of want um, somebody. You need your captain here. Yeah, strong. I think your captain's usually your midfielder. You see, if you're going to go, if you are going to say go with a captain, it's got to be Mr. Mar America, hasn't it? You've got to go. You got to go with Steve Rogers, yeah. Not Mar- Captain Marvel. I feel there should be a, a lady on the team. Well, you know. Yes, you could, but I don't know if Captain Mar- she flies a lot. You see, yeah, not too good. If we were going to go for a midfield female superhero, I'd be quite keen to see Doreen Green take up that midfield position because if that- things got a little bit out of hand, she could get a squirrels in, yep. kind of round up the ball <laughs> a bit, chase the um, chase the players around a little bit. So I think I think Doreen, the un- unbeatable squirrel girl, would actually be quite a good uh, midfield pick, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Cap is Captain America. You can't really yeah. have any other captain, could you? Solid, stoic. Captain Pugwash. Yes. T- takes no nonsense. Yeah, captain commands Planet. the midfield. Commands the midfield. Does Cap right. still get to play with his shield, though? Or does no. he have to have that... Well, his armband that he got in... Captain Crunch. <laughs> in Infinity War. He has his crazy <laughs> Wakandan stabby hands. <laughs> Yeah, stab, stab, stab. You look like clamps from Futurama. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on to the defenders then. So four of your stalwartest. See, this is this is where it does become a little bit cliched here. Yes. Obviously, it, it, to kind of keep people out, you're going to go for those, those kind of big, solid, stocky characters. So obviously you're going to have uh, Kane Marcos, mm-hmm. the juggernaut. Yep. Immovable. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> He's I'm good. the juggernaut person because they're best buddies you'd also have uh peter rasputin the colossus mm. there as well big solid you know yeah good player could become steel or not depending what the what what takes his fancy so that'd be quite good um so and other the other two defenders i would probably go with slightly um slippier slidier characters so another x-men classic the toad hmm in defence you know just keeping things you know he could also use his uh, moving a bit liquid yeah, yeah it's, he's doing a bit of uh, bad stuff for you in the background and, and um, as Callan would also um, call him uh, Mr Fishhead Here's Mysterio Mr. because Mysterio <laughs> could be there kind of like you know kind of going making people think the goal's in a slightly different position yeah, mm-hmm. Mr. Fishbowl head. It Mr. would just Fishbowl bounce head. off his head. It would be great. So you got you covered on all bases there. Just like a solid wall, mm-hmm. or slightly kind of slimy, uh, slippy kind of stuff, stopping your your strikers getting too far off, or they just get confused. And no. if, if that you know if they've managed to get past the shadow, and then they hit Mysterio, they're in trouble. 
I feel like we need like an actual proper footballer on the team. I'd like to nominate um, Stuart Pearce, who played back in the nineties. Stuart Pearce, manager. There you go. <laughs> See, I was going to go with Thanos because he's all about balance, and he'd make sure your team would be good. Just you'd be, you'd be yeah, just a bit unfortunate though, where he clicks his fingers and half the team disappears. Uh, Th- uh. Thanos is your typical old store football manager. He's got the bling. He's got he's got the gruff Are accent. Are you saying this because he kind of looks like Sam Allardyce? Well, you could put him in a you could put him in one of those big old furry parkers. He'd fit right in with the rest he's, of the squad. But, but it doesn't he's quite work. That looks like mints. It doesn't quite work because you, ne- you need two initials on those football jackets. And Thanos doesn't quite. Oh, they... No, Thanos sounds like you know, like a Brazilian player, like a Pele or a Ronaldo. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was like the, you look, you look at the Brazilian old Brazilian manager. What was his name? Luis Felipe or something like. That. He could have MT for Mad Titan. That would work. That would be quite good. Who would be the the physio that like gets excited and Comes then injures, the... injures himself and then gets that, stretched off? You know that's going to be Stan Lee's cameo bit. <laughs> He'd come out with a sponge, you'd slip over, everybody'd laugh. He's the comic relief little cameo. You, you, ma- you imagine like Thanos on the side chewing a bit of gum and then spitting on the floor like <laughs> managers do. See, cause if you have Stanley as your as your kind of medical, then your obvious pick for a referee is going to be Charles Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> He'd get stuck in the grass pretty easily. Oh, that's 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 to me, my X Men. It was a bit of a distraction during the game, if I'm honest. <laughs> He'd just wheeling around and whizzing around the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but like his his like wheels would just like turn up the dirt and it would ruin the pitch. Yeah, but we're gonna, we're gonna use, hover, he can have his hover chair for the nineties car. Yeah, we're gonna have some. We're gonna use some futuristic new football pitch as well. Anyway, so he's playing against uh, Denmark. They're playing against Denmark, and we get kicked out, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you have ideas for a better geeky football team, tweet us in at Geeky Brummy. Anybody who can beat Mulder and Scully as substitutes, <laughs> I'd be li- very grateful to hear from you. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Blimey podcast this week. Don't forget you can find myself, Mr. Ryan Parrish, online on social medias, on Twitter, at Ryan Parrish. Yep, I was smart enough to get my Twitter in early. You can find Keith Bloomfield at hardluck underscore hotel. You can find Guy Halford at guy underscore halford. You can find Philip Ellis at philip underscore ellis. And you can find Callan Danes at... D-A-Y-N-E-S radio. Oh, I did it wrong. We need to go... We need um, Phil here to do it for me. Danes Radio. Yes. And don't forget to check out the Jiki. The Jiki? The Jiki? The Jiki? The Geeky. The Geeky. Geeky Brimmy social media channel. So we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, where you find your social media, usually at Geeky Brimmy. So at G W E K Y B R U M M I E. Did you forget how to spell it again? No. Just making sure that people knew how to spell it. And don't forget to check out the YouTube channel as well. We're sending some great stuff up there, including our little drones video, so don't forget to check that out. But for now, goodbye, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you enjoy what we do, then please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio.